0: This is an MVP podcast. My Village Productions.
1: Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany.
0: And I'm your host, Andy. And each week, we will throw a dart at the map, and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery.
1: This is part two of the Solder Children Disappearance.
0: But, like, that's really hot. Yeah. like not melt that's weird to burn burn the bones that would be like aren't those ovens for like cremation like insanely hot like insane temperatures
1: (laughs) yeah they are
0: which is like to me is like just a simple wood like wood burning isn't gonna get that hot at least i think i don't know i don't know how this works clearly but like (laughs) it just seems there should be some bones
1: Yes, there should have been some bones, but fire does burn bones. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. I redact my statement. <laughs> so this is where, like, just some misconceptions come up. Another account from another firefighter claimed that there were a few bone fragments found and internal organs, but they chose not to tell the family in that moment. It has also been noted by modern fire professionals that their search was cursory at best. Regardless, Chief Morris believed that the five children that were unaccounted for did die in the fire, and he suggested that it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely. Now, I will say, if what the mom heard was like a Molotov cocktail or something being thrown on their roof, and they are in the attic, they are in the first room that it's set fire to, Mm -hmm. and the entire house is burning around them, so maybe it could get hot enough to where <laughs> it burns the bones down.
1: Well, okay. So I just Googled this because I really wanted to know. Okay. It's 2,500 degrees to burn bones. See, that's
0: hot as hell. Yeah. I don't know why I said it like that, but it is.
1: <laughs>
0: I find it very hard to believe that a house fire, especially, I don't know. So back then, houses were built with good materials. Wood, not particle board, not a lot of chemicals involved. The furniture that we have now burns very fast. Right. Wooden houses burn very slow. Yeah. Well, to start. Right. Once it's out of control, it's out of control. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. We'll never know. So <laughs> that's my theme of the, of this episode. So Chief Morris told George to leave the site undisturbed so that the state fire marshal can come out and they can conduct a more thorough investigation than they're able to. Right. Understandable. Mr. George did not listen.
1: Of course he didn't. He wants to know where his children are.
0: So he waited. He gave them four days. Which is... And they never came out.
1: Which, as a grieving father, is a pretty long time.
0: Yes, I agree. So after the four days were up, George and his wife, they'd had it. Like, they were tired of like constantly seeing the ashes of literally their entire lives just sitting there. So he actually bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site, and he had the intention of converting it into a memorial garden for their lost children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the local coroner came through, and in his, in his research, he was able to determine that the fire was an accident caused by, quote-unquote, faulty wiring, which, once again...
1: He had just redone it.
0: Yeah, like the entire house. Yeah. Among all of the men who were there to like investigate this, there was an interesting person amongst the group. And mm-hmm. it was the man who warned George that his house would one day go up in smoke, destroying him and his children.
1: So the salesman?
0: Mm-hmm. And this he was, was
1: hmm The salesman was a firefighter?
0: He was part of the um, group that they got together to determine... Oh, how the house because he was a he was an insurance salesman, right? Oh, yeah. So he probably I mean, that would be who you would call a home insurance person. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So he was there, though. Looking
1: coincidence, right? And that's just
0: it. It's like, are all these coincidences or is it just the perfect? I don't know. Was it all planned? I don't know.
1: I mean, it is. It is a lot of coincidence.
0: Right. So death certificates were eventually issued out for the five children on December 30th. Uh So not that long after, six days after they had passed. Well, they went missing, I should say. Uh The local newspaper contradicted itself, though, and it did report that all the bodies of all five children were found at the house.
1: But that's not the case.
0: But then later in the same, very, like the same, the same story, mm-hmm. they reported that only one body was found.
1: In the exact same story?
0: Exact same article. So bad journalism. Fire. F- fired. This part was actually really sad to me. So George and Jenny were actually too overcome with grief that they couldn't even attend the funeral for their children.
1: Obviously five children.
0: Um, But all of the remaining surviving children did attend. Okay. So not long after the fire, they began to rebuild their lives, Uh which you have to do, right? In any tragedy, you have to eventually turn things around. Take one
1: step in front of the other.
0: Right. The Satter family, I think after time, just started getting a little clarity
1: Uh about
0: the situation. And they really started to question a lot of the quote-unquote official findings in the investigation. Okay. They wondered why, if it had been caused by an electrical problem, the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages,
1: yeah, that's a good question
0: when if it was faulty wiring and the when the fire was on, when the fire was on, when the fire was started, if it burned through and disconnected those wires, the electricity in the house would be disconnected. Mm-hmm. They then found the ladder that had been missing from the side of a house from the side of the house on the night of the fire. At the bottom of an embankment that was 75 feet away from the house.
1: Yeah, that's not normal.
0: Right, and especially because, like, what are you going to do with a ladder at a river? <laughs> I guess maybe use it to, like, cross the river? <laughs> like a little, like, step bridge? I don't know. Weird. Mm-hmm. Just bizarre. A telephone repairman told the Sodders that the, ha- the home's um, phone line had not been burned through during the fire, as they had initially thought. But it was apparent <laughs> that somebody... Cut the wires, and it must have been somebody who who was willing and able to climb fourteen feet up the pole and reach two feet away from it to do so,
1: yeah, see now you're getting into stuff that it's like
0: it seems like foul play right, like this was all planned, yeah, as I mean, like this story is very bizarre, and I know I'm going a little longer than we usually do. so bear with me. We're about three quarters of the way through. so there was a man who neighbors had seen stealing a block and tackle from the property around the time of the fire. And they they were later identified and arrested. Okay. So that's good. He admitted to the theft and he claimed that he had been the one who cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire.
1: Yeah, but was he hired to do that?
0: Right. That's interesting. So there was no record that identified that this suspect actually exists.
1: The one that they...
0: Supposedly caught and arrested. Okay. so that's weird. (laughs) And then Jenny later on in this was about 1968, said that if he had cut the power line, she and her husband, along with their other four children, would never have been able to make it out of the house.
1: Well, so my question is, the person that cut the telephone line, Mm -hmm. how did she receive a phone call an hour before?
0: So I'm assuming it must have been shortly after that. Probably. Because it was only about a 30 minute window. Yeah. Between the two.
1: And if they cut the power, then the electrical
0: Right, it would be a, it wouldn't be an electrical fire. Yeah. Jenny also had trouble accepting Morris's belief that all traces of the children's bodies had been burned completely in the fire. A lot of household appliances were found in the rubble and they were still very easily identifiable, like plastic appliances,
1: which would be melted.
0: Right. So, which kind of goes back to what we were saying, like, did it really get that hot to where it could melt bones? It didn't melt plastic, girl. It did melt nobody's bones. <laughs> so, and there were also, um, amongst the rubble, there was also fragments of the tin roof itself. OK, still identifiable. She then con- uh, contrasted that the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read around the same time that killed a family of seven skeletal remains of all victims were reported to have been found in that case.
1: And there's no way the five children would.
0: So this is how you know Jenny's a mama bear.
1: Well, I would assume so.
0: So Jenny then took small piles of animal bones and set them on fire <laughs> to prove <laughs> that it would have been very difficult for these bones to just disintegrate into nothing right which what we is what we've been saying like as soon as they're like yeah all the bones are gone and we're like no, no. that's not how that works skin muscle all that yeah there should be at least some bones <laughs> maybe like the small ones like in your fingers
1: yeah this is not a cream like a femur yeah a skull yeah
0: weird so she set those bones on fire let them get completely consumed by the flames, and the bones were still there. And at the local crematorium she contacted, um, they told her that human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for two hours, far longer and hotter than the house fire could have ever gotten. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, the truck failures wouldn't start for him, right? Right. George firmly believes, or believed that the trucks were tampered with because he said there's no way that his trucks were fully operational Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not even 24 hours before right so why all of a sudden
1: and both of them
0: both wouldn't turn on yeah when both trucks were fully operational
1: i mean definitely there's a lot of like evidence that this is foul play
0: right so one theory about the trucks is that in their haste or in their panic Uh That he and his son, Sauter and his sons might have accidentally flooded the engines, which could have been a reason for them not starting. That's like also another speculation, which possible if you're frantic.
1: Right, right.
0: But also, I feel like if if that's your job is to drive those trucks, you know how to turn them on and
1: off. Yeah, but I mean, think about five children, your five children. That's true. Or brothers and sisters of thing, your mind is all over the place, yeah, like I can see that,
0: yeah, so some rumors started, and it suggested that the wrong number phone call at twelve thirty a m was somehow connected to the events that happened that night. However, investigators were able to locate the woman who had made the call, and she confirmed that it had been a wrong number on her part. Now, that's just her word,
1: right. She yeah. could have
0: been. Paid off. I don't know, but th- it seems like they were able to kind of like close that door. Uh-huh. Spring quickly approached, in the solders as they had initially planned, they planted flowers in their garden.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Jenny would continue to carefully tend to this garden for the rest of her life. Uh-huh. However, in early 1946, the family's beliefs kind of shifted to they might be alive still. Okay, even more strongly than than before. Why? So there, some evidence came forward that indicated that the fire had not started in the electrical fault and was instead set deliberately.
1: Well, that's what we thought.
0: The driver of a bus uh, that passed through Fayetteville late on Christmas Eve night said he had seen some people throwing balls of fire at the house. A few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia found small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like objects in the brush nearby their home. Mm. And this is when George recalled his wife hearing something hitting the roof and then rolling. yeah. And them not really thinking of it, and he said that the green balls looked like something that he called a pineapple bomb, which is a hand grenade of some, or it's just some kind of like incendiary device mm-hmm. that's usually used in combat. Okay. The family later claimed that, contrary to the fire marshal's conclusion, the fire had started on the roof. Although by then there was really no way to prove it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Other witnesses claimed to have seen the missing solder children themselves. Okay. One woman who had been watching the fire from the road said she had some of them, she saw some of them peering out of a passing car while the house was burning. There was another woman, she claims that she saw them at a rest stop between Fayetteville and Charleston. And she said that she had served them breakfast the next morning and noted the presence of a car with Florida license plates in the rest stop's parking lot as well. Weird. Right. The Sodders hired a private investigator Mm -hmm. to look into this case. His name is C.C. Tinsley. And Mr. Tinsley informed the family that the insurance salesman who had threatened George over his Mm anti-Mussolini ideas had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident, which we learned earlier. Yeah. He also learned of rumors around Fayetteville that despite his report to the Sodders that no remains had been found in the ashes, Morris had found a heart which he later packed into a metal box and secretly buried. Okay. Right. And... The reason this came about was because Chief Morris had apparently confessed this to a local minister who in turn confirmed it to George. George and Tinsley went to Morris and confronted him with this news. Morris agreed to show the two where he had buried the metal box and they dug it up. They took what they found inside the box to a local funeral director who later examined it. And they told him that it was actually in reality fresh beef liver. Okay. That had never been exposed to fire. That's weird. Later, there were more rumors circulating around the town that Morris had afterwards admitted the box with the liver had not come from the fire originally. He had supposedly placed it there in hope that the Sodders would find it and be satisfied that the missing children had indeed died in the fire. He was hoping like they'd be like, yeah. okay, you're right.
1: Yeah, rude.
0: Girl, no. Despite all of this, the family never gave up.
1: Of course not.
0: The mom and dad, they were constantly trying to work on this investigation until they unfortunately passed. They had flyers printed up with pictures of the children offering $5,000 as a reward. And that would soon be doubled to $10,000, which $10,000 back then is is a lot lot of freaking money. Yeah, (laughs) Like that's, back then that's like change your life money. Yeah. So in 1952, they put up a billboard at the side of the house. With the same information, it would in time become a landmark for traffic uh, through Fayetteville on Route 19, which today is Route 16. Uh The family's efforts soon brought another reported sighting of the children after the fire. Ida Crutchfield, a woman who ran a Charleston hotel, claimed to have seen the children approximately one week afterwards. After the fire. Uh She says, I do not remember the exact date. The children had come in around midnight, with two men and two women, all of whom appeared to her to be of Italian descent.
1: Uh
0: When she attempted to speak with the children, one of the men looked at me in the most hostile manner I've ever seen. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. She recalled that they left the hotel early the next morning. Investigators today have their doubts of the credibility of the story. Right. As she had only first seen the photos of the children two years after the fire, five years before she came forward.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit.
0: Right. If you'd seen it.
1: You'd say something. Right.
0: George continued to follow up with leads in in person, traveling to the areas from where any of these tips would come in. Mm -hmm. Um, A woman from St. Louis, Missouri, claimed that Martha was being held in a covenant there. Uh A bar patron in Texas claimed to have overheard two other people making incriminating statements about a fire that happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia some years before. Nothing ever panned out. Yeah. When George heard later that a relative of Jenny's in Florida had children that looked similar to his, the relative had to prove the children were his own before George was satisfied. Oh my gosh. In 1967, George went to Houston to investigate another tip, which... This is when a woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to her one night after having too much to drink. She believed that she believed that he and Maurice were both living in Texas somewhere. However, George and his son in law, uh, Grover Paxton, were unable to speak with her. Police there were able to help them find the two men she had indicated, but they denied being the missing sons. Paxton said years later that doubts about the denial lingered in George's mind for the rest of his life.
1: Obviously.
0: Another letter that they received that same year brought the solders what they believed was the most credible evidence uh-huh. that Louis was still alive. Louis was still alive. Uh, one day, Jenny found in the mail a letter addressed to her postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man of around 30 with features that strongly resembled Louis's. Uh. He would have been in his 30s if he had survived. And on the back was written... Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, I lil boys, A90132 or 35 bracket six. That's weird. Yeah. The surviving solder children joined um, by their own children continue to publicize the case and investigate leads. They, along with the older Fayetteville residents, have theorized that the Sicilian Mafia was trying to extort money from George and the children may <laughs> have been taken by someone who knew about the planned arson and said that they would be safe if they left the house. Weird. Yeah. So... The story is just insane to me. There's so much detail. There's so much evidence of so many different things happening. Mm -hmm. And to me, it doesn't seem either they are the most unlucky family in the world.
1: Well, yeah.
0: Or this was very meticulously planned and executed.
1: there's, There's just so much to like show that this wasn't just an accident.
0: Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Reading the story, I wanted to read it over like... Over and over and over again. And I, there's a lot of books about this. Uh-huh. And I think I might want to read one of the books because it's there's just so much information here. Yeah. And there's so much missing. And a lot of things were mishandled. Weird things with the Chief Morris burying yeah. the liver. hmm uh-huh. Strange. That is just strange. Weird.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP.
0: And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast
1: by Village Productions.